morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm not convinced. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. We're just waiting for one more team member, and then we're going to get started. We're kicking the service off with Everlasting God this morning. And uh, the words, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, he reigns forever. Is that an exciting thing this morning? That our God, he reigns forever. I, I don't believe what, what I'm hearing. Is it an exciting thing this morning that our God, he reigns. He reigns forever. He's our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not faint. You don't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like eagles. So I want you guys to stand to your feet this morning. We're just going to move around a little bit. And we're going to worship our God. And we're going to sing, you are the everlasting God. And as you sing it this morning, it doesn't matter what kind of week you've had. It doesn't matter what kind of morning you've had. If you've been fighting with your children or your husband. Or it was really hard to get out of bed. It just doesn't matter. Because he is the everlasting God. And he is worthy of our praise this morning. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord
an announcement for you. On June 30th, we're going to be hosting our very own variety show. If you have talent, this is the time to showcase it. Show it to the world. Express yourself. I want to dance with somebody. I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Show off your secret talents at the talent show happening June 30th at 7 p.m. awkward. Volunteer for summer camp so we don't have to do this again. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Richview. I think we have some, our juice is flowing, the blood is moving, I'm feeling awake now. Um, so hopefully you're feeling the same as well. We have a great morning planned, and we look forward to what um, God has to do in our lives this morning. Uh, we want to welcome you if this is your first time here. I hope you feel um, the Richview love, and, and if you wouldn't mind taking a moment, there's a little piece of paper in the front Pew, see, I do it every time. They're not pews here. Um, sorry, that's my Baptist upbringing. In the seat in front of you, there's a little card, and if you could fill it out and put it on the offering plate later, that would be fabulous. It will just be a record of your visit in our, in our guest book for here at our church. I want to point you to the bulletin. It's a piece of paper that hopefully you received on your way in. If you didn't, you can put your hand up and uh, Usher will bring you one. It's full of all the things that are going on this and upcoming weeks here at Richview. But I want to highlight one thing it is the opportunity next week, June 25th, to contribute to a love offering that we're going to do for Urban Promise. And there's more information in your bulletin about that. Also, I want to say that at the end of the service, uh, today is a very busy day. We are having our graduation uh, celebrations. So there will be cake and punch out in the foyer, but also we want to remind you if, if some people would like to have time with prayer or just reflect on what they've heard in the service, we ask that you just quietly exit and um, just leave this uh, area for those who would like to have time to think and pray. We also, it's Father's Day, so we have a gift for all the men here. So please pick one up at the end of the service. And so no matter your age, where you are in life, we appreciate you and how God uses you to bless others. So it's just a small token for you. All right, Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Will you pray with me? Here we are, Lord. We come into your house this morning, praising your faithfulness, giving thanks for your mercy, seeking your joy. Thank you for creating us and giving us life and breath today. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for the Holy Spirit who's presence here and who unites us as your people. Fill us with your, people with your peace today. Amen.
called me out upon the waters Great unknown with feet may fail And there I find you in the mystery In ocean sea My faith will stand Will you stand please? Above the waves, when oceans rise, so we rest in your embrace. I am yours, you are mine. Your grace abounds. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. The sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail, where feet may fail, and fear surrounds me, never fail, and you won't.
as we take our, our tithes and our offering. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord God, we are so blessed. God, help us to count our blessings each and every day because there are people all over the world that don't have as much as we do here right now. Lord, thank you for warm beds and family and for roofs over our head, and for food in our tummy. Lord, may we never take those things for granted. And God, as we give back right now, just a portion of what you have given to us, God, I pray that it would be an acceptable sacrifice that we give from our hearts. Lord God, I pray that you would bless the rest of this morning, God. I pray that you would bless the tithe that is coming into your storehouse. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
We good now? Nice, nice. Hey, uh, men, dads, any of you ever been scared before? No, no, because you're men. Well, I get, I get scared a lot. Maybe you can't relate, but sometimes I like to obviously create fear in other people, sometimes even on Sunday mornings. But, but one of my um, one thing that tends to happen to me a lot is I put myself in scary situations. So even this past Monday, if you remember, it was a bit hot, but it was deceivingly humid, and I decided to go for one of my famous long runs. And um, I always, when I go running, I take an emergency pack with me, you know, subway tokens, money, um, drinks, those kind of things. But I did something different this week. I decided to invite 
my wife, Heather, with me. First time ever she's gone on one of my runs, long runs with me. And I got thinking, you know what? She's on a bicycle. And everyone knows if you ride a bicycle, you're not even working hard. So, because you're sitting the whole time, right? So, so she can carry the emergency pack. Good thinking, right? So we, we take off, and about an hour into the run, it's pretty hot, I'm drinking about every 20 minutes, starting to get a little bit disoriented. She keeps stopping about every 15, 20 minutes, and she's texting on her phone. And it's driving, like I said, cycling, not real exercise. And uh, it's driving me nuts, because here I am, just running my heart out, and she can stop and rest. But what was happening is I would get ahead of her, and she didn't know the trail at all, and had all these little uh, turnoffs, and I kept having to wait for her to catch up. And that's not fair. If you're on a bicycle, you already have the advantage. You should be able to get ahead, and the runner keeps up. Well, at one point, I was just getting frustrated about an hour and a half into the run. I'm dehydrated, getting quite dehydrated and getting quite frustrated because she keeps stopping and texting. And I'm like, who are you texting? It's Layla, and she's going on about our daughter. I'm like, who cares? Just, just stay with me. And I'm starting to get frustrated, which tells me I'm a little bit tired, a little bit anxious. Anyhow, she says, I'll catch up, you go ahead, and wouldn't you know it, I make a left head on this trail, and about 20 minutes goes by, and where is she? And she's gone. And so, thankfully, I had my phone on me, and she had her phone. We start calling each other, but I'm already irritable, I'm angry, I'm tired, and we can't find each other. So I start going into panic mode, because I'm, about, I'm still about 10 kilometers from home, and I'm tired, and I'm grouchy, and all I want to do is get home and drink something. And what's going on in the back of my head is I don't have my emergency kit. She's got it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, what am I going to do? So another, I start heading home as fast as I can, even though I'm starting to get a little bit disoriented. I'm starting to get a little bit scared. And then great fear starts to get into me after about another hour goes by because I'm like, sure, I don't think I'm going to make it. And I'm like almost getting to the point where I'm just dragging on my feet. I managed to make it to Kipling. I'm still about five kilometers from home, just tired. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I start having like the worst thoughts. What if I pass out and they, they take me to Etobicoke General instead of Sunnybrook? I mean, <laughs> great fear and trepidation. So I'm really scared. I have no problems admitting that as a guy. I eventually make it home. Heather's there waiting for me, looking refreshed, and we've been in couples counseling ever since. <laughs> but it happens to me a lot. I, I get scared. I don't know if you get scared, but I want to take you to a story today that is a really scary story for those who were involved, these men who were involved in this story. Maybe not so scary for us today. <laughs> But I want you to hear once again as we enter the book of Mark that only when we begin to understand who Jesus is will we begin to understand who we're truly to be. And so we're going to enter this text. Let me pray, and then let's tackle this scary story. God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that we can gather in freedom. We can gather in safety. We're even in a country where we can celebrate and remember men and dads and granddads and great-granddads. And we bless you for all of them. We thank you for every one of them. And for some of us, this is a tough day. For others, this is a day of celebration. But I pray more than anything, God, as we enter your text, as we um, listen and learn more about you, may we be reminded more than anything that if we just know who you are, if we just accept that great fact, if we just come draw close to you, Nothing this world throws at us, any of the unknowns, any of the scary stuff, any of the troubled waters, we'll be able to handle it all. Help us, help us today. Um, give, us, uh, give us the nourishment we need today. Give us the peace we need today. Give us the sustenance we need today. Um, and show us more about who you are. And may continue to transform us from the inside out. In your precious name, amen. So once again, we're back into Mark, and we're looking, and once again, we're going to get this miraculous story about how Jesus is just desperately trying to get the disciples to know who he is, not his actions. But once again, we'll see with this story today, 
It's all about the actions. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, very famous story. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up onto a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when he saw them walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage! It is I! Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennariseth and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So all I want to do today is I want to look at three things about God, and I want to look at, about, I want to look at two things about us. So go God, us, God, us. And then let's finish with God, because that's always a good place to finish. Sound good? All right. So first thing is, and you've heard this before, and most of you, I'm sure, God is pursuing you. God is after you. God wants you. They're, they're, the story set around this, um, this Sea of Galilee. I'll show it to you in a second. Hopefully you can kind of see that. And often we'll hear about this sea in the Gospels, and we're like, how do like, the people like, run ahead of Jesus? And how does Jesus see these guys on this boat? And if you've never been to Israel, you probably won't under appreciate this, but here we are, right down here, we're in Galilee. I took this picture down in Galilee, and I'm looking out across the lake over at the land of the Gerasenes. It's not a big sea. It's a deceiving word, sea, but it's only about four miles across. So wherever they were in the sea, Jesus would have seen them. And there they are straining at the oars. You can also understand how the crowd could often beat him when he was in a boat race to try and get ahead of him. But Jesus sees them struggling in this storm. And, and you can understand a bit more now how we could actually see them. And even though it's a small lake, it, it's known to get these incredibly fierce storms. And the text tells us he does what? He sees them straining at the oars, and he goes and he walks. He walks out on the water to them. Anyone find that hard to believe? Just me, okay? That's fine. <laughs> now, now, the skeptic in me wants to say, well, may, maybe the boat was just pretty close to shore, right? Like, or, or maybe there were like rocks underneath the water, and he was kind of just able to, to walk out there. But Mark, Mark records something very different. He says it's a supernatural event. The Jesus Mark's, Mark presents here did what? He walked on water. He somehow walked out into the lake on top of the water. After all, he made it, then he walks out on it. And it seems like here in this picture here, Jesus is doing something that only God could do. And he saw, and what's interesting here is he saw this situation as something different than what you and I probably saw. He saw in the disciples' difficulties in that boat, he saw an opportunity to teach them something. Now, I think I would suggest that he sent them out into that lake for a reason and a purpose in order to put them in need. And he put them in a crisis situation so that he would have an opportunity. So remember last week, if you were here, there's 5,000 plus people who are hungry. And he says to the disciples, do what? You feed them. How are we going to feed them? That would be like eight months. Wages. Well, what kind of food do you have? Five loaves, two fish. Anyone want to do the math there? It's no way. But see, God's a strategist. And God makes no mistakes. And we can often look at things that are happening in our lives and think God has sure made a mistake 
He's put me in a storm. But if you're a child of his, just like we're going to see in the story today, he will not abandon you. So he sends them, he saw them, and he walked out to them. And it's the same with every one of us. God takes initiative with us. God doesn't abandon us. He's always constantly pursuing us. He's the one who comes to us and teaches us about him. He's not passive. He's not waiting to see what we're going to do. He's going to come. He comes to us no matter what. Now, number two here. This one's about us. Notice our fearfulness in the story here. In verse 49. And when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out. For some reason, they were not accustomed to seeing people walking on water. Bizarre, bizarre. So what's Jesus doing walking on water? He's going to rescue them, right? He's captain of the sea. And so he puts on his water-walking boots, and away he goes. But I'm absolutely mystified if you're not mystified from the very next sentence here in the book of Mark. It's brilliant, but it says this. He was about to pass by them. Why does it say that? I thought he was going out there to rescue them, and it tells us he was about to pass. Hey, guys, and then just keep going. And Mark's gospel, it's the only one who puts this phrase in here. But what's going on? I thought Jesus was going to come and save them from the storm, save them from their fears. They're, 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 they're scared. And I, and I often wonder if, if Mark got this story, when he wrote the story, if he got it from Peter, we know what about Peter. You saw it in the video earlier today. He gets, he gets out of the boat, doesn't he? So I often wonder if Peter's the one who told Mark this story, and Mark writes it down this way, and maybe that's why Peter gets out of the boat, because it looks like Jesus is going to pass by. There doesn't seem to be a point to this, though, does it? And he was about to pass them by. I mean, he goes to all the trouble of walking on water, and he's not going to do what? He's not going to save them. So the text tells us, though, why did he go out on the water to? No, that's the chicken joke. Um, but she's thinking. It's good. And it's a good joke. He saw them straining at the oars, did he not? Yes. Why did he go out on the water? To help them. Absolutely. Did he want to help them? Of course he does. So the crucial question we have to ask here is, help them with what? Was it to help them and their boat get onto the, you know, Bethsaida? Who's just trying to be a good captain and help steer the ship straight, meet their physical needs? No, it was to help them find a spiritual understanding of who he was. He had gone out to his disciples to help them with their faith, not with the boat. And the main point of Jesus on the water, it was to teach the disciples once again about his identity because they still didn't get it. Only when you begin to understand who he is will you begin to understand who you're to be. And so it's amazing. Over and over again, you see it in the Gospels, people see Jesus' supernatural works of, over in nature. Are they skeptical anymore? No, they know he can do miraculous things, don't they? Absolutely, they're seeing it time and time again. But they may still be scared, right? And maybe, maybe that's all they are, they're just scared. See, it's possible to get rid of all your skepticism about God, and you can still be scared. I would actually suggest that that's the neighborhood we live in today. I think we live in a neighborhood where that thinking is entrenched. I think there's a room full of people here and in this neighborhood who believe in God, and they fear God, but they haven't truly met him. They don't understand who he is. They, they, they believe in God, they fear God, but they don't truly understand who he is. They haven't met him. The scriptures tell us even the demons 
believe in God and shudder. But we already know where their eternal destination is, don't we? So we get this picture here, and I think it's a picture that's helpful for a lot of us because it's a picture of half faith. But half faith is no faith. See, fear of God is not enough. Showing up on Sunday mornings is not enough. Being generous to the poor, not enough. Satan's always going to do his best to portray God as a God of fear. But I, but I put a little math symbol up here for you, just to help me. I like these kind of visuals, so if it'll pop there. Truth minus faith equals what? Fear. Truth minus faith equals fear. And that's the kind of fear, that's the kind of relationship the disciples know really well here. See, the, Jesus' character, it's still unknown to them. They, they, they're still unclear of who he is. And you cannot understand Jesus unless what? You spend time with him. Unless you're attentive to him. See, I, I, we had a funeral here all day yesterday. I could go to funerals every day. I could be around death all the time, and I could learn what? If I did that all the time, I'd probably develop a real fear of God. I de definitely have a you know, good understanding of, of death. I could, I could also develop this real power of God thinking. But we won't get faith apart from listening for the voice of Jesus and hearing the voice of Jesus and knowing the voice of Jesus. And this passage and the scriptures are telling us over and over again, God is seeking you. God is not passive. He's coming after you. And if you try to perceive something of God without faith, you're going to always have fear. You may believe in God, but belief is not enough. Another thing we, we learn here about God, and I really like this one, we learn God's kindness. The scripture here says, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Why should they take courage? I mean, then this boat, there's like a storm going around. He's walking on water. Because he's there. Simply because he was present. Now, mind you, like two chapters earlier, there was another boat story, was there not, if you remember? And there's a storm, and they, Jesus is sleeping on a pillow. They wake him up, and he says, Don't be afraid. It is I. Ego a me. And once again, when he does the miracle, what happens? There's great fear and amazement. And what's really interesting as you study this story today, you look at the story today, you look at this account of Jesus today, it reminds me of two stories in the Old Testament. You may have heard some of them, maybe you're not, but one's about a great prophet by the name of Moses. And Moses is in Mount, on Mount Sinai, he's in a cave, and God's presence comes right by him. And then we're told another story about a great prophet named Elijah. He's on the exact same mountain, and he's in a cave. And God's presence comes, comes, God's presence com, comes past him, not as an earthquake, not as fire, not as a whirlwind, but as a still small voice, as a whisper. And I think Jesus is, I would suggest Jesus' whole point here in passing by the disciples, was just to give them a taste of his glory, that he's Lord over heaven and earth and all of creation. And they're not getting this. He's trying every prop imaginable to get this idea across. Verse 51 says this, Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. It's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? I wanted some fireworks or something really, really cool here. But it seems like the disciples, they could not deal with this Savior of the sea. But they could deal with what? Just a teacher in the boat. That's all they could understand. So there's Jesus in all his glory. He's walking on water. He's, and he's trying to demonstrate this to his dense disciples. And what do they do? They cry out, and they're terrified. And Jesus, time and time, time again, especially if you've been working through Mark over the last couple months, he's trying to get across to them, who am I? Who am I? This is who I am. He's trying to show them who he is, and they don't get it, and it must have been so frustrating. And it tells us here what he did. 
He spoke to them. He climbed down into the boat with them. The old English, older English says this. It uses the word condescending. Do you know what that word means? It's not such a nice word nowadays, is it? But condescending means to, to come down. There's lots of great hymns, if you know a lot of the old hymns, that talks about God's matchless condescension for us. How God stoops so low in order to come down to our level to show his great love for us. It's such a negative word nowadays, but I love the spiritual fact that God has great condescending love for me and for you. Jesus getting into that boat, it's such an incredible picture of that. He condescended to them. He got down in order to get down to their level, to stoop down to their level so that they could experience his love. Anyone here ever experienced God's condescending love? Yeah, there's a couple of us. That's great. We, we hear this picture so much, but there's this gulf between God and us. And, and the gospel tells us that God came down. He condescended down. He stooped down so low because he was pursuing us, wanting a relationship with us. And he did everything imaginable. And we get this little picture, this sense of that in this story here of God's great love for us. God is seeking you. And when he's found you, you know that he had to stoop down way low in order to get to you. You're no, you know you're his when you experience his condescending love. God ain't aloof. Verse 52 here. They were completely amazed. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennaroseth, and they anchored there. Amazed. They were amazed. Do you know where else that word was used in Mark's gospel? It's, it's used when his, when his family, his brothers and mom, wanted to lock him up in an insane solemn. It's the exact same word when they wanted to commit him to a mental institution. It kind of tells you, the disciples, how are they doing with this Jesus thing? They don't get it yet. They don't get it yet. They, under, they misunderstood about the loaves. And if they had gotten the loaves, they would have understood who Jesus is. And so the lack of understanding here is described as what? Having hardened hearts. And Jesus' language church used the people who should have known better. And so he gives us another thing here, and this is about us today. Number four, their hearts were hardened. And in verse 52 here, it stresses that until they understand who he was, they wouldn't understand why he came. We have to understand his purpose before we can understand our own. And, and, and the disciples, they don't seem to be any further along in chapter 6 than they were back in chapter 1. And walking on water isn't doing it. I would think that would be idiot-proof, you? I mean, I think that would move me along, but maybe not. They're not, here's the deal, though, if you're not getting this. It's not the supernatural stuff they, they don't get. They get that. It's quite clear this guy's got some kind of supernatural ability. They have no skepticism over Jesus' powers. The question isn't, wasn't, wasn't Jesus' powers. or The question is uh, that he had done these things. The question is, how? Who was Jesus that he could do these things? Who was Jesus that he could do these things? And is it for us as well? And so, some of us who struggle with miracles and these, these, some of these stories in Scripture, just because you get over that, okay, I can agree to that, I can believe in that, that's not enough. And that's not the point. And the question they're asking here is, who is Jesus to do these kind of miracles? So, if you want to know this God, if you want to know this limitless God, just listening to sermons on Sunday morning ain't enough. It ain't enough. You need to be praying and seeking for understanding of the truth. 
God has stooped so down low to come and find you. Text continues here, verse 54. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region, and they carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was, and wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The celebrity is here. The paparazzi would have been all out. The, the people recognized him, and they came, they... They may not have seen him being the guy who walked in the water, only the disciples saw that, but they recognized his power, if not his purpose. And, and, and the chapter ends with him delivering all these people. Now, why did Jesus do that? Once again, it was to show them who he was. Can I get the musicians to come up right now? I want to show you one last thing about God as we close here. And constantly, over and over again, God is pursuing us. God is showing us this immense love. And this story today, it shows us God's perseverance. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to teach us who he is. He's trying to snap us out of our unbelief. And he's like, would they see it? God's not passive. He's not aloof. He stooped so down low to reach you and I. And, and I think today, if I were to have an open mic and, and just ask people to come forward, can you come and share about how low God has stooped down to reach you? We wouldn't have enough time. So many of us would have story after story of how God has pursued us. And he's not going to quit on you no matter what you've done. Will you respond to him for what he's done for you? Your heart will be hard until God touches it. And we have nothing, nothing, we have nothing that we have not been given. God pursues us. God shows us kindness. God perseveres despite our unbelief and our fears. So don't live in them. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. He is all you need. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this text. Most of us know this story through, through movies, <laughs> through books, through picture Bibles. And we think it's all about Many things, we see it from different angles, but we miss the fact of the matter that you're pursuing us, and no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what storm we're in, no matter what's raging around us, you will go as low as necessary in order to have a relationship with us. God, we thank you for what you did on the cross in order to, to bridge that gap. And we know that all we need to do is trust in you, receive that free gift of grace you offer through your son, Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here who's in a storm, who's in a trial, who's in a circumstance, and they feel all alone. May they be reminded today of your condescending love, of how low you're willing to go in order to walk with us. May we all know that we don't walk alone and that you want to give us life, life most abundantly in a relationship with, with you that is so rich and full that we can handle anything this world throws at us and that we can have the strength and the courage to stand firm and not be scared and to be fearless. Thank you. Thank you for what Jesus has accomplished, for what he's done. And thank you for just this beautiful reminder of how far you're willing to go in order to curb our unbelief. Bless you, God, in your precious name. Amen.
Good morning, Richview. Before we conclude the service, we just want to take a moment to acknowledge our senior highs who are graduating. And you can sit. Sorry. Yes. So when I call your name, could you please make your way to the front? Don't be shy. We just want to recognize you, uh, give you a gift, and pray with you. So um, a couple of the names uh, aren't here today, but uh, I'm going to call them out anyways. Um, Bradley. Katie. Yeah, go ahead, clap. Rachel, Toby, and Daniel. 